are. Hey, Southbrook, how are we doing? So good? Yeah, give yourself a hand. You're doing great. Doing great. Hey, glad to be with you this morning. I'm excited to be a part of this series and what we're talking about. Um, and as you know me, if you, you know me at all, it's, it's unpredictable what's going to happen. All right? And as I was getting ready for this message, every time we talked about this new series coming, as Charlie talked about, hey, we got this series coming, it's going to be anti-fragility, I just kept thinking fragile. And with fragile, I kept thinking bubble wrap. Bubble wrapping. Think about it, right? You send something, you get an Amazon package, if done well, if done the right way, that thing is wrapped with care, bubble wrap, peanuts, whatever, because the goal is to get it from point A to point B as safely as possible. And as I kept thinking about it, I kept thinking, man, metaphorically, we live this way as well. Whether it's our lives we wrap in bubble wrap, maybe it's an image we have of something, or our kids as they grow up, we want to metaphorically wrap them up. We want them as safe as possible, as comfortable as possible. Um, and it becomes this thing where it can, brings, it can bring about anxiety and struggles. And so instead of talking about it and illustrating it in a boring manner, I thought, why don't we do a little segment I call Southbrook Theater? where I can narrate this play and certain actors go about acting it out for me. Here's what I need from you. Just don't be lame. Like, can you laugh? Do you know how to do it? I know it's early. So, hey, we're going to have some fun. We're going to start off with a little interactive here, and then we'll come back and, and, and bring Jesus into it, okay? We cool with this? You can do this with me? All right. I'm going to go to my narrator's lectern over here, okay? I've got some things here. It's going to be very organic. We're going to have some fun. Um, you know, a lot of these actors kind of know what's happening, but when I gave them the script for this, it was very stripped down. So a lot of this, they were kind of doing as I told them. Okay. Are you ready for this? Okay. Whew, this is big. This is, I'm so nervous. Hope it, hope it doesn't stink. Um, anyway. Perfect. Right on cue. Beautiful music. Ladies and gentlemen, prepare for an immersive and unforgettable theatrical experience where laughter and wisdom converge in a tale that's bound to tickle your funny bone and tug at your heartstrings. Introducing none other than the irreparable bubble wrap Steve. Give it up for bubble wrap Steve. Look at him. Oh my gosh, your faces are amazing. Wrapped, cocooned, and cushioned, Steve, Steve embodies the quirky art of bubble-wrapping life. Join us as we delve deep into this world and unveil the uproarious moments that point the vibrant tapestry of his delightfully unique journey. Behold the ingenious protective ritual. As bubble wrap Steve adoringly envelops objects and layers of bubble wrap. What do we have here before us? We have a, a stuffed animal. We're going to wrap that up. Why not? Wrap it in bubble wrap. Who knows what it can do to you? Make it as safe and innocuous as possible. We're going to wrap that up. Other things we have before us. Oh, we've got a Bible. Your cherished Bible connotating your faith there. But we're going to bubble wrap that because we want that to be the most pedestrian faith there can be. We want it to be safe and comfortable. So wrap that thing up. Oh, oh. hold on. Oh, he's, he's being delicate. For it is the word of God. Understandable. Under, oh, what, be quiet as he's doing Okay, I think you're being a little too ridiculous. Nope, okay, okay, got it. It's gonna, we've only got like five minutes, man. Can you do it a little quick, quicker? <laughs> you're very focused. I don't think it's a lot, I don't think it's that hard. Okay, okay, we'll move on. Next, we've got a plant. Why not? We should probably bubble wrap it because it's pointy. 
They could stick you and hurt you. Wrap that up. Bubble wrap that thing. Right? There it is. Yep. Not going to live long, but it's okay. It's safe now. We're safely doing that. We got sports. Sports are a big deal, especially if you have kids involved in it. So this basketball, you better wrap it up. We got to keep it safe. Right? We don't want our kids to get out there and put themselves out there too much. So just bubble wrap that basketball nicely. There he goes. There he goes. Absolutely. But the true hilarity and tenderness emerge when McKenna, Steve's spirited college-age daughter, graces the stage. Look at her gracing. She's gracing. Her mere presence sets off a cascade of anxiety and fear as she has returned from college completely bubbleless. This, of course, launches Bubble Wrap Steve into action, becoming McKenna's bubble wrapping shadow, following her every step with unwavering dedication while he exclaims, Dear, you can never be too safe. <laughs> she continues to run, trying to evade his bubble wrapping, and Steve sashays after her, chasing her everywhere she goes. Ooh, she puts the moves on because she doesn't want to be bubble wrapped, but he insists. His daughter must be bubble wrapped. Oh, you got to do it. You got to do it. Oh. It's not a cartwheel, though. It's not a cartwheel. Anyway, as he continues, they keep the chase alive. Because, Steve, I want to just wear you out, man. Are you good? Oh, <laughs> you doing okay? Okay, okay, we'll stop. Finally, McKenna stops, knowing her father's heart physically just can't handle this game. There they are, warm embrace. And while a, as, as McKenna exits, enter the steadfast friend of Michael Roop, ready to embrace laughter and share. There he is. There he is. Even with his friendships. Oh, high five. Even with the friendship. There it is. Hug it out. Pop some bubbles. There it is. Even in his friendship, Steve has to bubble wrap him. Even though Michael is just here for a meaningful conversation, Steve knows in a bubble-wrapped relationship, he's not interested in vulnerability and meaningful conversations. That's not safe. And so he does what he only knows how to do. Bubble-wraps Mike to the point... <laughs> bubble-wraps Mike to the point of suffocation. Just kidding. We don't want to do that. Okay, I'd let him go. It's kind of weird now. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Michael. And Michael hops away. <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't at all. And here we go. Amidst the laughter and jovial chaos, a moment of profound revelation graces Bubble Wrap Steve. There has to be a better way of life, he thinks, a way that is more liberating with less anxiety and worry. He notices the Bible lying on the ground and begins reading where he left off so many years ago when he became obsessed with bubble wrapping. He has now fixed his eyes on the person of Christ, the full embodiment of anti-fragility. With a chuckle and renowned sense of purpose, he embarks on a transformative act of unwrapping, a poignant metaphorical shedding of not just bubble wrap, but layers of apprehension and fear and comfort. Look at him go. He strips it away because as he studies and reads about Christ, he understands, man, a faith in Christ is not one with bubble wrapping. And he's taking it off and he's working it diligently and hard. He needs a moment or two. Lots of bubble wrapping coming off. He flails about the stage like a young child. There he goes. And standing before you now is a transformed man 
no longer wrapped in bubbles. The inevitable Steve Amazing Holt. Give it up for him. Great job, my man. Hey, it worked. It worked. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love it. He was like, should I pick up the stage? No, it helps build the illustration and even more as I step around. Oh, right? And I kept thinking about this more and more because I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be honest with you. I struggle I struggle removing the bubble wrapping around the things that mean that are most dear to me. And maybe you feel this way too. That the more and more you wrap, the more and more you encase, the more you do that, the very thing you thought that was protecting and bringing safety and comfort becomes restrictive. Becomes even more a source of anxiety because with every popping bubble you hear, that is a more of a space you've got to cover more and more in layers of bubble wrap. And so today, as we talk and we continue this series of anti-fragility, we want to learn from Paul and those with him. How on earth did he face what he faced as Charlie set us up? Remember? He read this to us earlier that Paul is saying, we are, I love it, we are hard-pressed. No doubt, he's going to be real with you. We are hard-pressed on every side, but what? Not crushed. We are absolutely perplexed, but we're not in despair we are absolutely persecuted. We're beaten. We're in prison. We've been cast out. We have lost relationships, but we are not abandoned because Christ is always with us. We are struck down, but guess what? We're not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. So today, as we talk about this idea of anti-fragility, we're going to talk about how on earth do we move into a mindset like Paul and others? How do we get there? Is there a formula? There is. Is there a way that we can grow in this? Because we all need it. I argue that we're all on a certain spectrum when it comes to fragility. I am there with you. I walk into the space where I'm fragile in a variety of different areas in my life I'm going to talk about. Finances bring about anxiety and fear in my life to the point that I try to, to have a white-knuckle grip and control over where every dollar goes because I'm so wrought with fear. Our kids are growing up, and absolutely, with every transition of life they go into, one going into high school, which blows my mind, how did we get here? But he's a freshman, and absolutely, do I, 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 there's a, the temptation to bubble wrap things. And maybe you feel this and this tension. And so today, if you will journey with me as we open up 2 Corinthians, and we look to Scripture, we don't look to Eric's agenda or opinion, we look to God's truth right, about what he says and how we grow into more Christ-like, anti-fragile beings. You cool? We up for that? We can do that today, right? Come on, let's do that. Okay, so here's my thing, right? We gave you this illustration. What I, what I love about bubble wrapping, here's the thing. Here's my ADD. Sorry, I'm going to go off on something else that I wasn't planning, right? You know, we spend hundreds of dollars on all the toys for our kids, right? Right? Do you know what my kids would love? I could have invested in Amazon boxes and bubble wrapping, and they would have been just, they would be like, seriously, I'd come in, we have boxes of Amazon strewn about the room, and they're all decorated, colored, it's a house, it's a castle, and then there's like bubble wrapping. Look at that, we're having so much fun. I'm like, for real? Could you hit me with that earlier? Could have saved money. Remember I just talked about finances, right? right? Just think it's hilarious that at the end of the day, our kids just enjoy the simple things. It's funny. Okay, so what I want to do today is I want to sit in Scripture. Today's focus is 2 Corinthians 4, 13 through 18. You have your Bible, open it, you have your phone open it, right? 
But here's what's great. This passage has so much depth. In fact, you could build a series around just these verses. And so I want to walk through these as if walking in the shoes of Paul himself, as if we are standing in the city of Corinth today, learning and hearing his words, reading the letter together, hearing his words, and how in the heck we can learn from this and grow from this, okay? So up on the screen, we're going to start off here with 13 through 15. Paul says, it is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Paul is quoting Psalm 116.10. That is the verse from Psalm 116.10 where the writer, the psalmist says, I believed in God. What he's saying is, I believed in who he says he was, and so I spoke to him, I prayed to him. The psalmist says, I prayed to God to deliver me, and he did. So Paul is using those words to say, since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe, and therefore we speak. He is telling them, we also believe God is who he says he is. We believe Christ is exactly who he says he is and what he did. And because of that, we can't stop but sharing the message of Christ everywhere we go. We will not stop. This is why we speak, because we have a deep-seated faith and belief that God is who he says he is. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. Some of us, Paul very much talks about a gift of faith, that some have been given the gift that they just believe. And some, they have to work at it, and it's a struggle to really believe and to hold true to who Jesus is. I don't see in Paul's word a single question about his belief. It's incredible, right? He doesn't say, I think we know. Paul says, we absolutely know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us from the dead, and we will also be raised with you. He's talking to his church, the Corinthians. He's saying, one day, we will all be resurrected and restored. All things will be made new. We will be there together. All of this is for your benefit, he says, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. All he's saying there is that This is to your benefit. What we're doing, this message we're bringing is to your benefit because you're going to hear the message of Jesus and if you accept that message of salvation, that Jesus is going to transform your life, your heart, and he was going to give you eternity, it's for your benefit what we're doing. That more and more people will hear this message and it will bring about this incredible, this thanksgiving that will be uplifted to God and he will be blessed by that. So Paul lists this all out. Because there's a reason he's doing this as he drives to our next verse. Therefore always points to before. I've listed all of that out for you. Paul says, I've listed all of this out. The reason we do this, the faith we have, the belief we have in Jesus and God and what's going to happen as he's going to raise us from the dead one day along with you and us. And we will be together in glory with Jesus and God himself because of all of this. Therefore what? We do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. You heard in the verse earlier, they have been beaten, that they are persecuted, that they are hard-pressed on every side. They no doubt felt every immense source of persecution. And Paul says, we don't lose heart? That's a, how do you get to the, the sense of miraculous type of mindset? Many of you have walked in here today and you can absolutely 
empathize with Paul's words that you are hard-pressed on every side. That you have been beaten, downtrodden. You feel those words. And Paul says, there's a way for you not to lose heart. There's a way for you not to lose heart. And many of you have been through a bunch in your life, and you have not lost heart. And you know what Paul's talking about. Therefore, we do not lose heart. And we can all empathize with this. Though outwardly we are wasting away, Paul says, though outwardly our physical bodies are wasting away, we feel this. The older we get, maybe some of you feel it more than others. The older we get, the joints hurt. The brain doesn't serve us to the extent it used to do before, right? Our body doesn't look as great as it used to, right? It's a struggle to get in shape. It's hard to remember. It's hard to do things because our physical body is wasting away as we get older, but Paul does this thing. You see this over and over where he uses antithetical statements. That on the outside, you are wasting away, yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. Every day, Paul says, we are being renewed. That is the source of the Spirit alive in him. The indwelling power of the Holy Spirit in his life is helping him to be renewed every day, day by day. While the outside may look rough, Paul says, the inside is flourishing. I may have whip marks on my back. I may struggle to speak, he says. We know about Paul that he wasn't this amazing teacher that everybody wanted to line up and listen to. He was a brilliant professor, absolutely. But that doesn't mean that that translates to teaching groups of people that love to hear him. In fact, there's a story of Paul teaching and a guy falls out of a window and dies. He quickly goes down and brings him back. Come back up, my man. And sits him down and continues teaching. That's not the story you want to have as an amazing, effective teacher, right? But Paul is saying, even though I struggle physically, my spirit, my soul is thriving daily because of the Spirit's work in my life. He says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all says our light and momentary troubles. In here you might be saying, oh my gosh, my troubles are not light at all. They're heavy. And in fact, there are people that have criticized this verse saying, how can Paul be so insensitive to our struggles? First, I would smack you and say, he's not talking about you. He's saying he's us. He says for our, he's talking about him and his people. He would like you to move into that mindset, but he's not assuming you're there. He is saying for us, me, my followers, we are. Our, our struggles are light and momentary, especially when you compare them to the eternal glory that is to come. Eternity is much longer than temporary, and the glory of eternity far outweighs my momentary struggles, he says. But how, Paul? How do you do this? It can't be that easy. You can't simply just say this and write it down. It can't be that easy. That can't be simple like that. He goes, no, here's how you do it. Here is, here is how you do it. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen. Does he say to fix your eyes on your circumstances? No, because those will be overwhelming. That'll be depths of anxiety, which we think we can't come back from. He's saying, no, don't fix your eyes on what's temporary. It's hard. Absolutely, it's hard. We know it's hard, but you can move. You can take one step forward in the midst of what's hard if simply you would fix your eyes on what is unseen. What is eternal? That's Christ. That is the kingdom. If you fix your gaze on him, you can navigate some of life's 
hardest hardships. It's the image, I didn't share this in first service, it's the image here about the fixing of the eyes. You remember when, when Peter and, and the disciples were on the water? You remember Jesus came to them on the water, if you remember? They freak out at first thinking it's a ghost. They're like, who is this? What is this? Okay. And Jesus, it's Jesus coming to them. And if you remember, Jesus tells Peter to come to him. And of course, Peter, being the, 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 the brown-nosing student, can't wait to get out there. I want to get out there desperately to you. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to show everyone how to do it. And he starts to do it, actually. And then do you remember what happens? The wind began to, to roar a little bit. He got a, lot of, he got a little nervous. And what happened to his gaze? Do you remember? His gaze was fixed on the circumstances. He looked to the wind. He looked to what was coming, the hardship, the adversity that is coming, and he took his eyes off Jesus and he began to what? Sink. You remember Jesus grabs him, he pulls him up, and he uses this term a lot with them early on as they're trying to learn their way. He calls it, you of little faith. He called them little faiths, his followers. Paul is telling you, telling us, for us, when hardship hits, adversity hits, don't, don't, don't resist the temptation to, to wrap it up, to, to, to cover it up and, and cushion and safety and comfort. As hard as it's going to be, focus your gaze on what is unseen. Focus your gaze on Christ, and you can move forward in the hardest of hardships. In fact, when I read through this, I like throwing some formulas together, and I saw this formula start to materialize if I'm reading this, and I'm like, man, here, this is what it looks like to me. From Paul's words, these, these stood out prominent to me. His hope of eternity, where he says we will be raised together, that we absolutely know that the God who raised Jesus is going to raise us as well. So he had an eternal hope. He had an unseen perspective where he fixed his eyes on what was not in front of him. It wasn't focused on the circumstances and the temporary. It was focused on the eternal and the eternal power and what God is doing. He was focused there, and he had a kingdom mission. I would ask this, do you feel like you have a kingdom mission? Those in Christ, we are called to a kingdom mission. That kingdom mission is to go and make disciples. That means to go and share our faith. See, Paul had this mission that he could not imagine breaking. The same mission that Jesus had, even in the garden, when he was starting to question a little bit if he wanted to do this. If it's possible, can you take this cup from me? And he remembered the kingdom mission. But I will follow. I will, I will, I will follow my, God, my Father's mission. Your will be done, not mine. And the biggest part of this as well is this indwelling power, the indwelling power of the Spirit that when you come to Christ, when you say, Christ, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I want to give my life to you. See, he gives you this gift that's incredible called his Spirit that resides in you, that helps you stay the course. See, when you add these up, that helps you grow into a Christ-like anti-fragility because the call of the faith is not a fragile call. To follow after him is not to follow after him fragilely. It's not a fragile faith at all to be free, to fully live out the actuality of the call of the kingdom and to live for Christ and fully experience his presence and to say, hey God, I trust you. I want to live for you. But that's not always easy. In fact, what it takes is you to, to, to as Romans 12, 2 says, right, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You have to renew your mind. You have to refocus and reshape it. 
because you've heard me talk about this a lot, we, we have this dualism inside of us. We have humanness and our spirit and our human nature is pulled to the things of the culture, to mixed messages. And we have to intercept and renew our mind. And for us to do that, your daily habits and routines have to shift. If, if this stuff matters to you. This isn't legalism. This is just a reality. For me to walk as if Christ and the footsteps of Christ and as Christ wants me to, man, I got to reshape some things. I have to make this a part of my daily routine. These daily habits. It's called discipleship. And I want to share with you, like, if, you know, some people in here might use this. I know last service, a lot of people said they, were, they appreciated this. So a lot of times when we do these messages, I like to give practicalities. If right now if there's one person that says, how do I start tomorrow? How do I start tomorrow? Do I want to grow into this anti-fragile reality? I want to be more Christ-like in, in my everyday interactions. I'm a huge baseball fan. I love all sports, really. Um, love watching baseball. Love that the Red Legs are performing well before they were expected to perform. In fact, let's be honest, at the end of the day, the Reds' job is to get me to football season. Yeah. High goals, right? No, but I love it. It's been great. Um, and as a baseball fan, absolutely, my son can tell you this, my absolute favorite player that I will watch every time and probably watch too much is Shohei Otani. How many of you here know who Shohei Otani is? This is what's phenomenal about this. Very little, to be honest. It's impressive to me. Shohei Otani, this is my hot take. It, it arguably will go down as one of the greatest to ever play the game of baseball. For an absolute unique reason. It's unreal. No one's done it since Babe Ruth, and I'd say Babe Ruth doesn't hold a flame to what he's doing. See, Shohei Otani is a young man who pitches at an elite level. In fact, he's in, he's in the triple crown running for pitchers. That's lowest ERA, strikeouts and wins, I believe. He's in, he's, he's, he's in the running for that. He's in the running of the Triple Crown as a batter as well because he hits, and he hits to an elite level. The Triple Crown there is home runs, RBIs, and average. He's in the top six categories for all of that. He's unbelievable. Like, I'm blown away. And here's the thing that's crazy. He can play in the field, too. He can play outfield. That's what he did in Japan. But they, when he came here, they're like, we don't, yeah, we just want you to DH. But what I'm, I am blown away by this young man is how he reoriented his life his sophomore year of high school. Sophomore year of high school. You need to, this is unbelievable. This is what made me fall in love more with this guy. His sophomore year of high school, he wanted to get even more serious about his goals. His goal for his life at that time was I wanted to be drafted number one into the Japanese major leagues. That was his macro goal, his huge goal. And in Japan, obviously, they are a culture of esteemed discipline. He came across a teacher called Takashi Hirota. I, I'm, I threw myself in. I'm a five on the Enneagram. I love studying, and this was just incredible. In fact, we did this method with a volleyball team on Monday and Tuesday. As they helped, we helped them set out their goals for their season, their values, and all this stuff. I literally used the Hirota method. And so let me show you. You, you probably won't be able to see it. It's kind of small, so they'll zoom in and show you. This is what Shohei Otani incorporated his, in his sophomore year of high school. This is called the Harada method. Yeah. Wow. Right? So at the center, this yellow cube, this square, is his macro goal. This is what I want to do by the time I'm done with high school. This is what I want to accomplish, okay? Around the macro goal are these micro goals to help accomplish the macro. Make sense? 
nod if, you, if that makes sense. Yeah. Some of you are sleeping. It's okay. Right. So a part of this is a goal for sharpness, for control, for body, which is strength, mental toughness, big deal, player's box, love it, to throw 100 miles an hour by the time he graduates, pitch variance, karma. He doesn't love Jesus. Maybe he will one day. I hope so. But for him, it's karma, okay? And his personality. What I'm blown away is <laughs> sophomore in high school, okay? And so what happens is you take these cubes and you break them out into their own grid where you get more specific. So his speed to throw 100, man, I got to work on my shoulder strength, increase body weight, lower body strength, turn along body axis, pitch more, practice catching liners. Are you for real? Right? It's unbelievable. I was blown away by this. And I'm like, man, this explains everything. It's like, and, and I believe if I'm recalling correctly, it's not that you do all of these right away. It's like you focus on a couple of them for a couple months and then you move on to others. And I was just blown away by this method. And then like me, I tinker with things. I'm like, hey, for those who really need goals and, and concretes and blueprint, this could, why wouldn't you use this spiritually? This could be a great thing. And so I started playing as if it were me. So I put my own Harada method. If you wanted to do this, say, hey, I want to grow an anti-fragility. You put your three-by-three three square up. And you can use this method literally for anything. But I'm using it to grow and to, anti to be more the person of Christ had wants me to be. And here's how mine looked. I started writing these out. I want to grow an anti-fragility really is another way of saying I want to be more like the person of Christ, which is called discipleship. Discipleship is be, become, do. What does that mean? I've said this a lot. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do as he did. That means sitting with him. And as you sit with him, as he becomes your focus, you start to become the things he was about, and you start doing what he did. So that's at the center. So how, if that's my macro goal, what are the micro goals around that that I can do to help accomplish that macro? And some of those you're familiar with. We talk about them here at Southbrook, the importance of scripture, solitude, service, support, Sabbath, the need to stop striving. Eric, take a break. Chill out. Self-reflection. This is, again, for me. I believe it's important as you read Scripture and you work, it's important to stand in the mirror of truth. As I stand there and I reflect on what Scripture and what Jesus wants me to be, where are the parts of my life that I tend to have a short, I'm short-sighted on or a blind spot to? Can I grow in, I need to grow in this area. I have too much anxiety around this thing. Eric, we need to grow out of that. Self-reflection. That's you growing in self-awareness. Here's a big one, surrender. This is one where it's like, okay, Eric, we're, man, where are the, the areas of your life you need to relinquish control? You have a white knuckle grip on this thing and you need to give this up to God. Sweet, I just needed another S word. It means nothing. Totally kidding, totally kidding. You don't know me, there's a little bit of OCD to me. Sweet is gratitude. I couldn't have one G up there, are you kidding me? What an atrocity that would be. Sweet. Man, this is a big deal. It really is. We talk about it with students. Big deal. How many times did you just sit down in a day and say, sweet, man. That was sweet. Because in the midst of turmoil, we, we tend to become so fixated on the turmoil that we forget the good that's going on. We forget the times where God has been moving and active. We forget that we had an amazing piece of pizza and it was so good. Sweet. Thank you, God, for the person that made that. They, are, they have a gift that you've given them, right? It can literally, that's what I say. This doesn't have to be this huge thing all the time. 
Eric, mountains weren't moved today. Hey, but there were some things today you, you experienced that were good. Write them down, journal, whatever. And so, like the Harada method, but I changed some things with it. These break out into smaller, well, not cubes, but circles here. Instead of eight, we put four to make it less overwhelming. <laughs> Might still be overwhelming, but anyway. Right? We break them out, and here's something I do. Here it is. This is Because here's the thing. Do you know what the number one killer of goals is? Vagary. New Year's Eve rolls around. Everyone wants to what? I got New Year's resolutions. I want to, I want to lose weight. Cool. What are you going to do? Uh, gym membership? Okay. What is your daily habits going to look like? What are you planning to work out? What are you going to do? On what day? All this stuff. Oh, I haven't thought about that. Guess what? You're done in two months. Right? Specificity is the best way to help you accomplish goals. To get specific. And so I put an, I'm going to put an example up here for you. Let's take if I, I broke out the micro goal of Scripture. And in these quadrants, it's what, for, on, and at. For means how long are you going to do it? And I'm going to show you it here in a minute. On means how often are you going to do it? Is that daily? Is that weekly? At means what time specifically are you going to do it? 3.30 in the afternoon? 4 o'clock? 8 in the morning? I don't know. 2 in the morning? College kids? I don't know. What are you going to do? That is specific. What are you specifically going to do? And here's what that would look like. Okay, mine's scripture. Specifically, Eric, what are you going to do? I'm going to read Luke. Okay, for 30 minutes daily at 3 o'clock. Hard to break that. See, I think vagary is bubble wrapping, to be honest. Yeah, I, I want to get healthy. Everyone else is. Start off with best intentions. And it's kind of bubble wrap. We don't really do work. We don't really get specific. We don't really put this stuff in. And, and, and believe me, this isn't legalism. This is a fact. If you want to grow into the person of Christ, you have to cultivate daily routines and habits to allow the Spirit to intersect life. And we all know busyness is crazy, and I believe busyness is one of the chief goals of the enemy. I've got three kids. Man, believe me, summer's already over, and it's wild to me. There's so many days, you all feel this, there's so many days that the day is over, and I'm like, what, what, what did we do? Where'd that day go? Here's why this is so important, right? Because of the dualistic nature we have. We have flesh and we have spirit. We are human. We are soul. And your human is pulled by culture and the mixed messaging that is out there daily. And so the goal is to orient yourself around the blueprint of Christ himself. To cultivate, to be intentional. And the only way to be intentional is if your goals and habits line up. And that comes with Man, just getting specific about what you want to do. So you could fill this out. You could do your own thing, whatever that is. The goal is to move more into the person of Christ with this unbelievable anti-fragility. To pursue this mission. Again, it's this formula. To pursue the mission of the kingdom. To have an eternal hope that what we're doing, one day, man, things are going to be set right. But in the meantime, I'm going to help play a part in setting things right by living out the mission. You can't have a seen perspective. Your perspective can't be focused on circumstances or you're, you're going to be gone. And all of this you cannot do by yourself. You can't be altruistic and accomplish this goal. It has to be the indwelling spirit within you. Here's the thing. and We're pushing the big splash. 
See, Paul knew the importance of the indwelling spirit and the power within him. That he knew, he'd say this, why do I do the things I don't want to do and I do the things that I don't like? He constantly talked about this give and take of how his, his humanness would pull at him. But when he's trying to stay the course, but it was only the Spirit's power in him that would keep him that way. That comes first with a commitment to Jesus. If you are out there and you are thinking about this, that, man, I want more of this anti-fragility. More importantly, I want Jesus alive and working within me. It starts with you saying, hey, I want to give my life for him. I want to put my hands, my mission, my mind, my internal being into his hands. It starts with saying, hey, I want, to, I, I want, to, I want you to be the Lord of my life. And be faithful in that and give yourself into, into baptism. Because after that is where Christ gives you this incredible gift that it's his spirit that helps guide and helps shape and helps strengthen. Especially in times of hardship when you can never fathom one step forward. There are times it's almost zombie-like because you've experienced such pain that there's some way that I, I took one step forward today, and that's only because of the Spirit alive in me. Or else I would have just stayed in bed. The goal is to be stripped clean of the bubble wrapping. Because it's only after you do that can you pursue God's calling for your life. Maybe what's happening right now is him trying to strip you of that bubble wrapping. That on the other side of that, he has got something for you that is incredible, but you have to give it up. But the only way to do that is to say first, man, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I come to you as someone who walks the same path. I am riddled with anxiety and fear at times about the future, about my bank account about my kids growing up. There are times where the temptation becomes prominent. I had a childhood that was incredible. I had two parents that are amazing, but they had to work hard. There was a time of prosperity and there was a time of not at all on the other side of a bankruptcy. And I remember watching my parents working their tails off for my sister and I, doing everything they could to provide for us. And I'm thankful for that. But when I watch that, that plays a part in my life of saying, I don't want that. God, I don't want that. I don't want to be at my wits end thinking, where is it going to come from this month? I don't want that feeling. And then I'm reminded every time, and maybe you're there at times too, that when I surrender that, it's incredible what God does in the midst of the things you think he could never do. It's incredible when I say, God, I can't do this. And when I surrender it, finally, he's like, I can. See, bring your loaves and fishes to me, and I can multiply them. The problem is, you're too fearful and anxiety-ridden to even bring them to me. And so each and every day, I'm trying as well to grow. But I do know that when the times that I'm struggling most, my routines and habits have just gone to crap. I've lost sight of him. I start fixing my fixing my gaze on my circumstances and what I need to do to fix them. Instead of saying, God, I give it up. I got to give it up to you. So if that is you today, and you're saying, first, I, man, maybe I want to give my, my life to Christ. We've got pastors up front. Down here, you'll see Pete and Leah. If you want to talk to them about that, please, we encourage you. Don't, don't surround it in bubble wrap. Break free of it and go talk. Maybe you need prayer right now. 
You need help and guidance in whatever stage of life you are right now. Come down and talk to somebody. Here's the thing. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not saying it's going to go without pain. I'm not saying that at all. This isn't prosperity gospel. But what I'm saying is, Christ is the only way to navigate the hardships of life. The only way. I cannot do it. Only he can. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for these people, the families represented here. I thank you for this church that we can come and share your message and your truth, Lord. I pray for the bubble-wrapped life that so many of us feel the tug to do in our daily life. And it comes with great intentions. In fact, a little bit of bubble wrapping probably isn't bad. The problem becomes when it becomes our source of identity and our source of anxiety and fear is when it becomes a problem. When it holds us back from truly chasing after you. When it holds us back from pursuing what you have called us to do. Lord, I pray today, if there's just one, Lord, you would cause them to move to hear your calling, to strip away the bubble wrapping and to say, I want what Christ had. I want what Paul had. I want what so many pillars of the faith had. And I thank you for your sacrifice because your sacrifice is what gives us hope for eternity. Because of what you did, I have an eternal relationship with you where this isn't the only life we have. We thank you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Southbrook.